Hello, I am Sarah Vine and this is Sarah Vine's Female Half Hour from Mail Plus. I'm joined this week, as every week, by my friend and co-host Imogen Edwards-Jones coming up on today's show. The Commons is no place for a baby. <laughs> Although they are, in fact, of course, all babies. Indeed, yes, they are. Um, that's a very <laughs> cheap joke, but I had to make it. Um, we will speak to a leader in women's entrepreneurship about why businesses should provide childcare. Are male authors being squeezed out of the fiction industry? Oh, I speak to Kate Mancy, whose friend can't get published because he's a white male. And there's a lot of debate about the controversial BBC Royals documentary, which I personally thought was quite boring, but mm. there we go, that's just me. We hear a royal commentator's thoughts on the two-part series. Um, and we'll be talking to Hannah Betts, Yay. beauty expert extraordinaire, who tells me that big hair is back. Imogen, how's your week been? I have been obsessing about Rod Stewart I dressed as Big Bird. I know you have. Um, disco dancing in his kitchen with yellow trousers oh. and a dishcloth on his head. And I couldn't love him more. And then yesterday or the day before, something like that, he said that all men should have lessons in the menopause. menopause. I, isn't he just a top bloke? Yeah, I mean, but who would have expected Rod Stewart to I turn know. out to be... A feminist. Yes. <laughs> I also like the fact that he was quite bevied after his lunch. He was very bevied after his lunch, yes, wasn't he? which I thought was quite fun. I look quite like a Sunday lunch where you can get bevied. And I like the fact that all of his family were very sweetly washing up and I obviously know. treating him as though he was just a little bit silly. I know, Which yeah. he obviously is. Yes. But it's interesting because um, he seems to be growing old, disgracefully, but also in a fun way. Yes. Whereas Madonna, can oh. we just talk about Madonna? I quite love Madonna, as you know. But I know. honestly, even I... When I saw the pictures on her Instagram of her backside in a pair of... There's this bizarre picture for the listeners. And I'm going to paint a picture for you here. And it's it's not going to be pleasant. And it's Madonna uh, lying with her face and head and body and arms underneath her bed. Mm. With her bottom sticking out and her legs and a pair of Louboutins on. And her legs are open and she's wearing... Um, fishnets. Fishnet tights and no pants. No pants. But she looks. Song, she's wearing. Song. She looks like the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> after she's she been totally killed. Does. Yeah. After she's been killed by the house. But it's just. It's just. It's just like. You're 62. I love? don't know. 602. I mean. Um. But the really weird thing is, if you look at the bottom, which has obviously been lifted and tucked and oh, tweaked, there's a lot and, of surgery that's gone on. But there. it looks. The thing that I find is, how can you sit on that? That looks really uncomfortable. Because <laughs> mainly you're supposed to be sitting on your bottom to, because it's it's yeah. a little bit pad- it's padded. Like f- it's supposed to be like a friendly old cushion. It is. Yes. It's and a travelling cushion. Hers is like a sort of couple Cup- of bowling balls. Literally. I know rocks. I mean, the idea that you could actually. She sit down on that bottom. I mean, what does she? I presumably she stands up or just squats most of the time. She's just squatting with that ass. It's just really bizarre. It looks so uncomfortable. Oh. Do you think she just lies on her side? I've no idea what she does. I don't think anybody knows what Madonna does. Do I mean, it is just it's just bizarre. I, it, I She's mean, either I, in bed or or performing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like presume. I mean, I like the idea of growing old disgracefully mm. in that way, but I just think. I don't know. It's just there's a sort of taste thing, isn't there? Yeah, well, there is. A, the, the, it is the you know. It is that mutton dressed as lamb idea. Yeah. But uh, but that's like mutton dressed as God knows what. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's so bizarre. Also, also put some pants on. I know. Put some pants on. Anyway, so um, now we're going to talk about serious things, Imogen, oh. uh, which is this idea of whether or not you should take a baby into the House of Commons. Now, personally, mm. I think that. I mean, I could, for example, I couldn't take a baby into the office because it would make a lot of noise and just be very distracting for all the other people around me. And I do think that 
there's a very important. I mean, I do think we should help women with childcare. Yeah. I mean, I always remember when I had my children. You know, the idea that childcare, that you pay, you pay your tax on national insurance, and then you pay for your childcare, and then you pay their tax on national insurance, yes. and so you're basically taxed twice, and and it's actually incredibly expensive and, it is. and draining financially. It is. Um, and I've written about this loads of times. Of course, no one takes any notice of anything <laughs> I ever say. Um, but so I mean, there are lots of things that Stella Creasy could be doing to help people with childcare, but it just seems to me that she's just posturing and uh, virtue signaling and uh, just being attention seeking. But what's weird is that's her second baby. Mm. So who's looking after the first one? (laughs) Surely surely someone is. Surely whoever's looking after the first one could also look after the second one. Yes. Yes. Good point. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking that's very weird. And it's normally also first child behaviour. So you know when you have your first baby you think it's you think it's literally uh, Simba. Yes. It's it's (laughs) It comes with the whole Lion King back, background music, and as it walks into the into a room, everyone is supposed to bow down and go, yeah. "Oh my God, that's the best baby I've ever, ever seen. seen." And yeah. I am the obviously the you are the first mother who's Do, ever had a baby. Exactly. Yes. All but that's that's normally happens mm. with first baby. Yeah. Second baby, it's like you know, eat the you know, you're phoning it in. Yeah, exactly. So you know, <laughs> organic for the first, literally whatever's available for the second. So that's what I find weird about the whole thing is that. She's doing this for a second time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we're going to have a sense, to try and have a sensible conversation yeah. about this. Yeah. Um, and so joining me now to that end <laughs> is the UK president of the British Association of Women Entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. Louise Oliver. So Louise, we've been discussing this whole Stella Creasy thing. Yeah. And I'm incredibly sympathetic to the needs for more creches and more general sort of help with childcare. But I'm not really sure that having a 13-month-old in the House of Commons is terribly useful for anybody. 13 weeks old? You said 13 months old. That, oh, would, mean, that would mean you'd be running okay. around. I'm so I sorry. She's a 3-month-old baby circa, isn't it? Yeah, yes. But um, if you want my view, the House of Commons is not the place for children, mm. whether it's a baby or any children really Mm. because you know you you can't focus on the child and doing your job at the same time I I don't think that's the right thing to do well that's my view I mean I think the thing the thing is probably the House of Commons should have some sort of crash I mean it does Does, have does it it not have a crash it has a lot of bars right but it doesn't have a crash so I mean they could turn one of the bars there is a nursery on site so there is a nursery so why isn't if you you google it um, the House of Commons has a nursery on site it's you know, it's reasonably expensive, yeah. but if you if you look at, um, she's in a quite a privileged position, is Stella Creasy, to mm. be fair, because MPs get six months full maternity pay, right. and also they can apply for additional funding for staff to help them whilst they're off. Mm. Wow. Yes, yeah, so they can get somebody to sort of stand in for them as a, as an MP if they want to, can't they? Can they? they? Yes, they, it's all very strange and complicated, but yes, Gosh. they can do that. Gosh, okay. So, so they can uh, apply. What I understand about Stella's case, now, of course, your application can be declined and they mm. say, no, you can't have extra funding. What I understand in her case is that she has shuffled around a little bit, so she has got a little bit of cover. Now, mm. I think in support of Stella... I understand that what she is trying to do is to demonstrate that she actually, she cares about her constituents. While she's off with the baby, she's not Mm. doing her job. So actually what she's demonstrating is that, you know what, regardless of having a child, I'm still here for you, which is absolutely fine. That's Mm. fine if that's what she wants to do in her office in her hometown Mm -hmm. and, and see, do her surgeries. I think that that's 
fine and acceptable. Louise, the only thing I'll say about that, though, is all those people who are working in the Cayman Islands who are still representing their constituents, I mean, there is Zoom, so she could actually be sitting at home on a she Zoom. To term the, yeah. the idea, there was a sort of certain amount of showboating mm. going on, I yeah. think, when she brought the baby into mm. the into the Commons. It was a sort of... It wasn't entirely due to just uh, working and looking well, after the constituents. Yeah. I, mean, I, think, I, think she, I think she wants to draw attention to herself. I mean, what I would say, though, is that I think that there is a big issue here about childcare with women because, mm. it, you know, childcare is incredibly expensive. To get good childcare yeah. that, you, that you think that, you know, for, you know, women can't just leave their children with anybody. Yes, they, true. They want to feel confident that the person who's looking after their child is qualified or, you know, nice, sensible, whatever, a good person. And childcare is, is very, very expensive and women get no help with it at all, mm. as far as I can see. I mean, most women, you know, have to just pay it through the nose. I mean, I remember when my children, yeah. my children were little, I paid for my childcare. You, and you pay as well out of your taxed income. Mm. So you, ta- yeah. you pay all your own tax and national insurance and then you employ a childminder and then you pay all their tax and national insurance. Mm. Yeah. I did it too. And, um, and the, the thing is, um, I, I've worked for myself since 97. Mm. So when I had my two boys, I was running a business. Mm. And at that time it was fairly small. Mm. So you don't go to work, you don't get paid. Mm. So literally you work your way through. What did I do? I had a couple of days a week and mm. I relied on family mm. and then I had three days of nursery. It was expensive. Um, net of nursery school fees, you don't come out with much. But do you know what? There's a certain amount of, I chose to do that. Mm. I chose to work mm. and and, yes. and it gave me that sanity. I, 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 I'm not a stay-at-home mum. I love my mm. boys, but that, that was never me. Mm. So you do make a, a choice as to whether you're going to be at home with the baby mm. or you go to work and if you choose to go to work it is a challenge mm. um very much so yeah i mean i do i do think it would be e- it would be it would be a good thing if more companies provided creches mm. or you know facilities yeah. for parent for mother for for, for for parents for mothers and fathers but i i know that it's complicated because you, know, you get all the sort of legal issues don't mm. they i mean i think that's one of the reasons they don't tend to do it but i do think that there's some things where you just can't take a baby in i mean you couldn't take a baby up a ladder you couldn't <laughs> you couldn't have a baby or if you were a train driver <laughs> yeah you couldn't example. you know yes. you, you couldn't or, have a baby in an operating theater yeah. or if or you, yeah. yeah you just couldn't do it i had to pay my childminders maternity leave oh you did too i remember that <laughs> which was a really that sort was of really kafkaesque sort of thing Gosh, really bizarre because then i had to but i had to play pay somebody else to oh look god, after I, my god, children I totally she was on maternity. and it was just, i mean i can't tell you i was bankrupt she was really quite cross about it as well as you can imagine <laughs> it was extraordinary it's a big issue. It, it does need it does need addressing and i think that you know um obviously this is this has blown this issue again out mm. into the open. Yes. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, I think this is a conversation we're having going to be having for a very long time. Yes. And anyway, I wish I also wish Stella Creasy well with her little baby. Yes, I know. So do I. But it should be at home with the other one. It should. It should. <laughs> Thanks very much, Louise. Thank you. That's a lovely to talk to you. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. That was Louise Oliver, UK president of the British Association of Women Entrepreneurs. Last year, 55... No, I can't even read now. <laughs> Do you want some specs? <laughs> off. <laughs> Would you like some specs? Please don't cut that one. <laughs> Last year, 57% of hardback fiction was penned by women novelists. And, in fact, I think this year the Costa shortlist is all women. It is, yeah. It is all women, which is yeah. interesting because the mm. Brits have cancelled women. I know. They're not having any women at no. all. 
they're just having persons. Yes, persons. Anyway, <laughs> let's not get that in, into that argument. No. But um, so part of the problem is, is that apparently women only read books. So if you're, if you're, it's a, only women who a, read books, and it's only women. Yeah. So that's why all the women are winning awards. Yes. So anyway, joining me now to discuss this is the assistant editor of the Mail on Sunday, Kate Mancy, who says her friend is struggling to get his book published because he's a ham. Yeah, he's a white a, male is a publisher's nightmare. Apparently, <laughs> yeah, he's written a brilliant book. First time novelist. He's a middle-aged white bloke. Mm. Unlucky for him. Mm. Lucky for him in all other walks of life, no mm. doubt. Mm. But not in this instance. So he's put it out to agents. I've read the first draft. I think it's absolutely wonderful. Mm. Yeah, I read a lot. You know, um, well, you're a woman. That's what we do. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> well, that's the thing. And then. Uh, the agents are saying, well, I just not really, you know, it's very hard to plug somebody of your demographic. And they're actually, you know, yeah. they're not prepared to take him on because they know you, the publisher's also identified no. as a trans woman, he uh, could get it published. Yes. Well, you do wonder if he changed his name or well, did I a kind of reverse you. J.K. Rowling when she did, <laughs> she had her Robert Galbraith novels. You know, maybe I should, he should just change his name to, I know, you know, I know somebody who did Molly that. Rooney. And really? I, yes, yes, this is a true story. So this friend of mine here is a white middle-aged man. Um, obviously, I, I'm just going to say uh, this is the smallest violin I'm ever playing in my life <laughs> for this story, by the way, because they had white middle-aged women who had it all, all their way forever. But oh, yes. anyway, I mean, they wrote all the books all until the books. about three years yes, ago. It's mostly they? Martin Amos, anyone yes. ever talks about it anyway. But put, put that one aside. So this friend of mine who is a white middle-aged man then decided that he was going to uh, acquire uh, an African name in order to promote his book. And um, the uh, publishers were very excited and he was given a massive advance. And then they kept on saying, we need to meet meet this lovely woman. We need to meet this lovely woman. So it was an African lady. An African lady's name, yes. Goodness me. I know. And and eventually, eventually, he actually had to go into the meeting. It's a bit of a Wizard of Oz moment, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) To go into the meeting and then all their faces fell and went, no, we're not buying it, I'm afraid. Really? <laughs> so, so that's interesting, isn't it? So so it's not about the book itself, it's just about it's about whether you can market the person. Well, it, well it. yeah, it's so cynical, mm. isn't it, when mm. you think about it? And perhaps there needs to be something like the Brits, but the reverse way round. So maybe we do need a male, mm. a male award. But thousands of good books are written every year and, and half of them never get read. No, so it true. is all about the marketing and, uh, and, you know, the idea of, you know, word of mouth. And, you know, it's one of those really weird intangibles that it's very yeah. difficult to but imagine you, you run a website for women writers called yes. the Great Big Book Club. Yeah. And so and you have the occasional man on there, don't you? Sometimes we allow them in. Um, <laughs> yeah, but no, my the idea behind my website originally was that um, that 80% of uh, fiction is read by women and women were really not ever taken seriously on the literary circuit. Mm, no, so, right. so the idea of putting Marion Keyes writes about relationships and mm. she's just chick lit, whereas Sebastian Fuchs writes about relationships and then he's a hugely important literary, literary writer. Yeah. Literary writer. He's a man with intense sensitivity and uh, and uh, nuance. So that's why I started that original uh, mm. idea. But I do think publishing is, has got itself, is knickers into to a massive twist at the moment. I don't. I don't think it really knows what it's doing. It's, I think it's counterproductive as it well, is isn't it? Bit, They're yeah. saying, well, we, you know, women writers will appeal to women readers, and these are the people we've done mm. our research and our focus groups, and they're the ones buying the books. But I'm a woman no. yeah. reader, and I love to read books by all sorts of different people, exactly. different nationalities, different sexes, whatever. Yeah. And also, when you start, it's like all these things. When you start to apply quotas, it all goes pear shaped. Yeah. It's like politics. Mm. If you start to apply quotas and say, well, you know, we we need X amount of women and X amount of ethnic minority, it, it, you know. 
it just should be the person who's best who does the best yeah, job. Yeah, it is also a commercial venture, uh, yeah. you know, uh, publishing. It is actually an industry. Yeah. And when you start applying quotas to an industry, I think that's when things start falling apart a bit. Well, yeah, because obviously it's a, it's 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 demand driven. And exactly. You just, yeah. 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 Um, well, I hope your friend. Gets <laughs> um, uh, Me too. It's a great book. Yeah. <laughs> what is it about? He's called John Matthews, and it's a book about a man and his Australian wife, a British guy. He moves back to Britain because his elderly father is dying and he gets back in touch with all the kind of ne'er-do-wells from his secondary school days. Oh, and good. it's a great kind of flashback. So there's lots yeah. of kind of nostalgia and yeah. things. So it's a good read. So it's sort of Nick Hornby-esque. Yeah, yes. I'd say so. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. It sounds well, great. Well, if only publishers are listening. Yes. <laughs> get on, get on to it. I'd read that in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Kate. Very nice to talk to you. You are listening to The Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine, and Imogen Edwards-Jones. You can visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces, and more. And if you want to get in touch, you can tweet us at mailplus at WestminsterWag or Imogen at Imogen EJ. Now, the BBC has aired a two-part documentary series that has left Buckingham Palace disappointed. Frankly, it left me disappointed as well, but I thought it was because it was a bit boring. It's quite dark, was it? A tiny bit boring. But maybe that's just because I've read every single word about the royals for the last <laughs> God knows how long. Anyway, joining me now is one of Britain's leading royal commentators and royal editor for the Evening Standard, Robert Jobson. Hello, Robert. Hi there. So we wanted to talk to you about this documentary. Um, what did you think of it? Well, I mean, I think it was quite interesting for people like you and me in the media. I don't necessarily know how interested it would have been to... The general public, although they, by all the hoo-brouhaha that came out afterwards in the media, I suppose a lot more people watched it than were probably going to watch it in the first place. But mm. um, to me, it was pretty fair. I, I'm not one who believes that. I mean, I'm not a great necessarily great supporter of the BBC, but I think they'd be getting a pretty unfair bashing. Um, it, it covered most bases. The only thing I think was wrong about it, I suppose, was that they had Meghan and Harry's lawyer on there. They also had, without really a right to reply. Mm. And um, But they did have quite a lot of different journalists from different backgrounds on there. The fact that the palace are jumping up and down seems a bit daft. If they wanted to put someone on as a spokesman, yeah. they'd put someone on there. Um, I don't understand their problem. And, and equally, I don't really believe in this day and age that, that they should have control over a narrative. I think that's... Um, mm. It's pretty bad if we start thinking that's the way it should be. I mean, presumably the stuff that they're really cross about is the bullying stuff, isn't it? This sort of bullying allegations. Well, yeah, but they haven't done anything about it. We're no. supposed to have had an investigation by the palace um, mm. that um, clearly some people that were, rep- were members of the staff had come forward um, to Valo at the Times and and actually spelt their case out very clearly. Now, the, the, the point with this is, of course, there were... That was led by Jason Knauf, who was a member, a senior member of their own staff, mm. and he brought this to their attention you know, the, the, in the, these emails that we've now subsequently learned about. Now, th- these members of staff went to the newspaper and complained about it. Now, the pilots have said, oh, we're going to do a full investigation. Well, what's happened? Where's mm. this investigation? How far down the line is it? Is it? And are they actually doing anything about it? Well, I think it is ongoing. But I mean, I heard lots of stuff as well. Didn't do you remember? Yes, yeah, yeah. We heard loads of snippets uh, coming out, didn't we? We were, horror. you know, lots of people were saying, and and the same stories as well from different people. Yes. So, so I don't think it was. But, I uh, but we haven't had any parameters no. on this bullying investigation. It's, I think, it, to be honest, they've had 
more than long enough to speak to mm. all the people that are involved, and we should have had some findings. They clearly don't want to say anything because it's going to upset the apple cart with Meghan and Harry mm. and create more brouhaha, more problems when he's got this tell-all book coming out. So I, I think they're trying to have their cake and eat it, which is not not you know unusual. Do you think they're just trying to sort of basically pour cold water on everything just because of the Queen's not in not in great health and perhaps she just doesn't need she doesn't need this more stress, does she? No. Well, she doesn't need the stress, but it's stress that's been created by the principals themselves, by yeah. Meghan and Harry and mm. people that work for the royal family. It's nothing mm. to do with the media. It strikes me that the, the, the you know, doing the classic of trying to divide and rule mm. with the Daily Mail's, you know, particularly like the BBC, like a people. But, mm. you know, the, 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 I, in this particular instance, I think the BBC and Amal Raja did a pretty good job mm. of assessing the way that the media and the monarchy, you know, have to coexist mm-hmm. post-Diana post when, of course, it had to take a, a very clear step back from being perhaps as aggressive as, as it was. Are they right. just cross that they didn't get the to see the, the documentary before it went out? Is, is, is that normal protocol, that the palace gets to look at the documentary before it goes do, out? If they do, I think that's a bit odd. I mean, yes, I can understand it with historic documentaries or when they've taken part or if they've got members of the royal family taking part. My understanding is that Amol actually gave them a brief outline of mm. it and gave them a right to reply, which is the statement they gave. Yeah. I'm not really I'm not very comfortable with with way even though the BBC got things drastically awfully wrong over Panorama. Mm. I mean, you know, you've got to assess that is that the Princess I was around at the time. The Princess of Wales at that time would have said you know, found another outlet, if it wasn't the BBC, to mm. say what she wanted to say. And if, if Prince William and other members of the royal family are suggesting that she would not have said what she said had it not been for the way that Bashir had presented himself, I just totally disagree because she, she'd been to see... Uh, Max Hastings at the Telegraph mm. to spell out her concerns. She'd been to other media outlets, and she was looking for someone to to have her say. You know, if it wasn't on the BBC that she said there were three in the marriage, it would have been somewhere else. Mm. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. No. So yes, the BBC behaved badly in this in the instance, and it, and it scarred the BBC. And I think that's going to be said in this documentary in the, the second half by Amaraja, mm. and I've, I've no doubt about that. But mm. the, the the reality is is that. I don't believe Prince William or the royal family should start being petty, banning the PBC from from events, when the BBC ultimately, when big major national events, such as we've had the Prince Duke of funeral, mm. is the main outlet for that for for the, that type of coverage. So I, I, th- I think you can't, they can't control the narrative, no matter how much they would like to. Yeah. And still, mm. and they put a lot of inf- they lean quite heavily on journalists, you know, mm. with this uh, in a subtle way, and uh, their PR spin team. You know, they can lean on individual journalists, they can lean on ed- editors with the the subtle power, mm. the soft power, if you like, that the monarchy has over media institutions. Yeah, yeah. amazing. Gripping, well, <laughs> Robert. So you're in the Barbados, and and, and what's happening? The the Prince Charles is coming. Yeah, I'm, ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm basically I'm doing a bit of writing. I'm looking out over the sea at the moment in a, oh, in a, in a lovely <laughs> beach resort, given the, which is uh, very nice. Um, in the crane, but it's all my, what I'm saying is, is that <laughs> it's he's here um, coming out. Um, 29th, 30th, um, on the RF Voyager. Mm. It's basically going to be collecting the flag, I suppose, and leaving. I mean, he's going to be guest of honour. 
But, you know, the Queen doesn't do um, give it back. And um, But I think Barbados is a, is a country that's very wealthy now. It's independent. It's been independent 55 years. It's probably one of the richest um, Caribbean islands. And, mm. you know, it wants to get its own way. Mia Motley, their prime minister, has been very clear about that. And Sandra Mason, the current governor general, which is effectively the Queen's representative in um, in the in, in the on the island, uh, will become the president after a vote. Mm. So it's uh, it's it's quite Big interesting moment. that you've got a you know the Queen's going out, but you've got a female prime minister and a female. Um, a woman, a new president, which is uh, is going to be a big change um, going forward. But I think that you know, they retain their Commonwealth status. They will be very still work very closely with the um, with with Britain. Um, but will it, it, you know it's finding its way of ditching its old colonial past. Mm. Thank Amazing. you, Robert. Interesting. Well, good. Have, enjoy, um, enjoy your terrible assignment. We'll, we'll be thinking of you in in London and London where it's minus five. Have a pina colada, yes, and think of us. Yeah, do. It's a bit early for that, but if I start doing that, I know I've got a problem. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Thanks very much, Robert. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was Robert Jobson, royal editor for the Evening Standard. So, Imogen, apparently, big hair is back. Oh, the voluminous vo- blow dry is all the rage as seen on Adele, obviously. Oh, right. So not the poker straight stuff. No, not the poker straight. Oh, no, big right. hair. Big that hair. Big hair. wife poker straight. No. No, that's oh. all. No, no. Thank God just, for that. No, no, no more of that. <laughs> um, which, I mean, I like poker straight, as you know, but mm. um, apparently, yes, everyone's looking for voluminous hair dryer. Oh, Oh. Uh, blow dries. I mean, do you think that's because of, because of all the equipment that we now have to do these things? There's, there's big sort of diffuser yes, things that and the go sort on of top. Dyson. Anyway, yeah. anyway, uh, tell us more is to tell us more. I should say is um, Hannah Betts. We are going to be joined by Hannah Betts, and here she is. Hannah, hello. Hello. Tell ladies. us about big hair. Mm. The higher the hair, the closer to God. Oh. Um, <laughs> and with Christmas coming up, that's where we all want to be. Right? Yes. <laughs> Oh my god. So the full beehive. You could do enormous hair. Why are you doing it now? (laughs) (laughs) I used to have such massive hair uh, in the 80s. I had a root perm. Do you remember root perms? Gosh, yes. Yes, that literally, I did the full banana rama right up to. You were erect. Yes, I was, yes. (laughs) That must have been leonine. I mean, that must have been. Wow. Yes, but I do, yeah. th- I do think that the reason we can do this big hair is because we now have the tools. Because in the 80s, you didn't have any tools. It was just a really terrible hair dryer. Shitloads well, of hairspray. I, I, <laughs> the, the reason why this trend happened is hmm. that this summer, I finally gave away my 80s, you know, a primitive curling tong. Hmm. And that was meant to be based on Coca-Cola cans. And oh. I got that in about probably in about eighty nine ninety. Hmm. So I think the tech did exist, but you had to go deep, and hmm. probably it wasn't very good. Hmm. Whereas now there are things like the Dyson Air Wrap, which hmm. I ha- I'm, I'm yet to have one, but apparently it lifts up your hair and wraps it and curls it, and yeah. you don't have to do a damn thing. No, you just basically it's like you you just put a big Hoover on your head and it does oh, everything for exciting. you. Exciting! I need that in yeah. my but I life. Think it's we might finally be over straighteners. And actually, straighteners ruined a whole generation of hairdressers yes. who now can't do big, bouncy drives yeah. mm. because they grew up with their amazing GHDs. Yeah. But not all of us look good with GHD hair. I mean, no. I look like a witch. It, I, straight hair <laughs> kills me. It just it, it, it accentuates my large nose and my goth features, and it's not good. Whereas a big, bouncy blow says... 
fertility, health, gosh, could that person be 18? Mm. You know, it, it, it suggests all the, the luster. It, 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 I think it's got a lot of quite positive meanings. Yeah, that's, um, that it's, it's I, fun, for one, fun, want fun, to avail myself of. Yeah, fun, fun, fun. Mm. So, so how can our listeners get a big bouncy blow? That sounds a bit rude, actually. Well, is there anywhere near um, Victoria Station or oh. make themselves near Victoria Station? <laughs> I've recommended someone you know, Viney, which is Magda. Oh, yes, dear who, old Magda. Who's, she's actually right next to Pimlico Tube. Yeah, yeah. She does it in 20 minutes. Wow. And she is the best I've ever come across. And I used to hate blow dry so much that I'd go somewhere very fancy and then offend them all by asking if I could leave with wet hair because I hated them. <laughs> I hated that they were so straight and shiny and boring and newsreader. Yeah. Whereas um, Magda gets that I want some high camp on my head. Mm. And, you know, for the first five minutes, you look like a bit of a maniac, but then it settles. Yeah. And you've got a week's worth of beautiful, bouncy hair. Wow. And okay, I now Magda. realize that if I'm having my photograph taken at all, in order for a sort of public cheer, I need this. Um, and it's and it's twenty five quid. And, and of course, a bouncy blow dry is perfect for a party, isn't it? It is perfect. You do, have, to, make you you do have to sleep sitting up afterwards, though. That's the only problem. In order to keep <laughs> well, no, it. No, I, I mean the, the Magda ones. They laugh. Oh, really? just wear all, those let's nets. Let's together. Let's get get all get big yeah. bouncy blows. Because together. my grandmother, my grandmother used to go and get her hair done once a week. She'd mm. go and get her hair done, and then she'd sleep in a net. And yes. what's interesting is that I I always used to think this was insane. Mm. And obviously, I'd wash my hair every day, like. Every Every person, and then and now I do exactly as she you sleep does. In a net. Well, I don't yeah. sleep in a net. I sleep in a silk cap. Oh my goodness! Yes, because <laughs> yes. it stops my hair. Very nineteen fifties of you. No, no, I sleep in a silk cap, and um, and I also I have my hair washed and dried once a week, and then I don't touch it in between except to brush it. Stop is laughing it a silk cap on a silk pillow. It is oh a silk cap God. on a silk pillow. I mean, it's it's very good. It stops the hair from going all sort You're of. Basically, the princess and the pea. I am. Oh my God, that's hilarious. (laughs) I do have all those old heated rollers from the olden days. I'm just not very good at using them. Don't get rid of them. Don't make the mistake I made. Um, Oh, okay. And they they give you, I mean, one has to be quite skilled. And I'm not sure I am. And you need to have hands coming out of your back. I mean, Mm, I think also, (laughs) I find it very difficult to have my hands in the air for that long. Um, I train your children or train your boyfriends. Yes, very good. Yes. you need, with the curler, as with the hairdryer on the barrel brush, mm. you need not to leave the last tiny bit. You have to make sure it's all on the brush or all on the roller. Mm. If you leave the end, it goes sort of, it sticks out at a weird angle. And that's yes. the giveaway of an amateur. I mean, there is the, there is the Babe Bababalis uh, big hair hot styling brush, which remains a, a classic, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. And, and that, that, with all the tech, the one thing you need to do, according to my oracle, Magda, she says you make sure the root is about 100% dry. Right, because, okay. So you blow your hair upside down first, rough blow it. Yeah. But make sure the root is upside down and dry, and you've got yeah. a bit of root lift product in there, which I talked about in this week's column. Yeah. And then style it with everything else, because she said even with the airlift, Dyson and even with the Babyliss you can still end up with a lovely bouncy blow dry on incredibly flat roots oh, and, that, yes. and that won't work yes. okay that's yes. very okay this is vital information it and is. I thank you so much we're going deep, deep yeah. brilliant yeah. okay thank you Hannah I'm going to go and um, <clears throat> order yourself a big blowy <laughs> but yeah it's the big blow bitches 
as ever, that was the wonderful Hannah Betts, uh, Daily Mail writer. And I think we can say beauty guru. Mm, yes. Now I know it's all about the roots. Yes. If you enjoy listening to The Half Hour, why not visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our other podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. And if you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or tweet me at Westminster Wag or Imogen at Imogen EJ. You've been listening to The Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine and Imogen Edwards-Jones. Thank you. Thank you.